Thank you for joining us on Vagina Talks. I'm thrilled to have you here and I want to have you everywhere we are. So I want to invite you to come check out the Patreon. That is where you can support, become a member, join the virtual temple, get behind scenes, all the good stuff, support this podcast so that we can keep bringing you the medicine, the free flow, the real, 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 real talk. Would love to have you as part of the community over there. Consider yourself invited. Come on over. I'm Samantha Rise, and welcome to Vagina Talks, where we speak about, to, and from vaginas. This is a show of alchemy, where we turn poison into medicine, disconnection into wisdom, and isolated wounds into communal peacemaking. Here's your host, Sophia Wise One. You already know everything they can teach you. You already know. I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that Vagina Talks understands that gender is fluid and dynamic and goes way beyond the binary of either woman or man, she or him, and that in fact it's a living and evolving thing that's actually personal, person to person. And that our bodies, even our understanding or the ways that we experience them, can vary. It's important for me that that's something that has space here on Vagina Talks. And at the same time, I also am carrying this understanding that womanhood and the experience of the feminine and all of the female in the splitting of that binary has been injured, has been hurt, has been dismantled. And so I'm looking to have a space where the feminine and the female and the female body is reclaimed and respected and lifted and inspected and known as well as a space that goes beyond the binary and that acknowledges that these are limited constructs mostly put upon us and that we're in the process of evolving into something more whole and more true just wanted to say that some of my guests will use incredibly binary language for whatever reason from the places that they come from And I just wanted to let you know that Vagina Talks has a much wider understanding, and it's a living one. So feel free to chime in as we go along. Without further ado, today's episode. Hello, and welcome to Vagina Talks. I am your host, Sophia Wiseone. I am glad you are joining me today. We are going to talk about sex. We are going to talk about kink, and we are going to talk about more than I even know at the moment because we're just about to get into it. I just wanted to put it out there that if you're curious about the pelvic floor work, I have a free video series on my website. If you just go to sophiawiseone.com and sign up for my email list right there, the first thing you'll get is a series on doing pelvic floor work on yourself and uh, a lot of stuff that's not even internal work. So if you're curious, you want to learn more about that, that's a great place to go. Just wanted to share that with you in case you didn't know. Okay, today, Lee Montavan is here and she is a sex coach, a clinical sexologist, as well as a writer, educator, and mother. She specializes in working with and is strongly connected to the LGBTQIA plus kink and non-monogamous communities. Lee offers sex and relationship coaching to individuals in Los Angeles, as well as Skype anywhere in the world. 
And you can read her twice monthly column, Ask Sex Coach Lee, on Take Back Your Sex blog. And she's going to be at a bunch of cons, Sex Pro Con, Sex Pause Con, and Catalyst Con. She also hosts and facilitates a monthly women's gender queer polyamory discussion group community organizer. I like this. Lee believes in a healthy, a healthy sexuality is key to a happy life and deeply values body positivity, sex positivity, comprehensive sex education, whoop, whoop, intersectional feminism, holler, and social justice. Welcome, Lee. Thank you. I'm really glad to have you here today. I'm glad to be here. I just kind of want to jump right into it and ask you about how you got into – this is one of those things where people always ask me this too because I do intravaginal pelvic floor work. I do therapeutic work, non-sexual, you know, mm-hmm. vagina work. And people are always like, how did you even get into that, you know? And so um, I'm curious, you know, not just how you got into it but then also the process of uh, if there was even a process of um, coming to terms with or fully embracing uh, being a clinical sexologist and a sex coach. Absolutely. Um, it was a huge career change for me, which was pretty exciting. I always knew that I wanted to do kind of one-on-one work and that I was interested in um, sexual health. And, um, but kind of the way things happened in my life, I ended up at a fairly corporate job and I was there for almost a decade. And when it was definitely time to move on, I came back to this idea of really wanting to work with people individually. I thought about going and getting my master's and becoming possibly a therapist or going to nursing school. And I had kind of an epip- like an epiphany moment talking to a friend just about kind of sex and relationships And she was a really closed off person and she really like kind of started crying and opened up to me. And I had this moment of like, how can I do this as a job? What should I do? So, um, there were layoffs at my corporate job and so kind of worked out perfectly. I asked to be laid off Mm -hmm. and so got a little time off doing that. And I started looking into ways I could do things with sexuality I also had a brief stint where I worked at a dungeon, um, which was a really interesting way to look at like sex from a professional kind of kink sex work perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, um, I did this program through sex coach you, um, which is Dr. Patty Britton's program for certification for, um, sex coaching and, uh, sexology. Can I ask what uh, what you did in the dungeon? Like, were you like, drink, did you like serve drinks? You know, like I like I know a lot of people that have like worked in various degrees, and they're not always directly working with people. So, I did directly work with people. I was a professional submissive. Oh, okay. So um, essentially, I um, saw clients. It was it's not a um, a dungeon that's like a venue as well. Okay. It was more um, just clients coming in. Yeah. So basically got spanked and things like that. Great. Uh, yes. what, what do you, what do you find is people like kind of, I don't know, like top few things that people bring, um, to the table that they don't want to talk about that they want to talk about, but they don't want to talk about, you know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I think kink is something that people 
often want to talk about them, but, but don't want to talk about, Yeah, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of, I'm into this thing. Is this normal? Is there something weird about it? Is there something wrong with me? You know, um, I think, I think sexual shame is another thing that comes up a lot where people have, you know, some sort of trauma, some sort of shame in their background and it's affecting their sexuality, but they're not quite sure how. Did you have that? Do you have that in your own life? Is that, is that like, is there a part of like, you know, I feel like there's always a part of it that we're taking with us from our own experience, but is there, was there a piece that was particularly? Yeah. I, you know, um, I grew up Catholic and Uh I think that's kind of, you know, that's (laughs) kind of the thing. Um, I tend to have a lot of clients who come from a fairly oppressive religious background, a lot, even way more than mine. And so I think even if you don't have your own personal experiences of something, you know, traumatic or around shame, if you grow up in those kind of religions, uh, shame is sort of instilled in you from a very young age around sex and sexuality. What can we do to help dismantle some of that shame? That is an excellent question. I think comprehensive sex education. Hmm. Um, I think sex education that talks about pleasure. Say it again. (laughs) (laughs) That is the thing that is completely missing. Even if you are lucky enough to get accurate sex education, there's still such a focus on, you know, avoiding pregnancy and STIs. There's very little on pleasure and consent and, safe dating and how to have good communication with partners. Um, they're very, it's very binary. It's very um, heteronormative. Yeah. We kind of bring a lot more into a more sex positive view into sex education. I think that helps a ton. Talk to me about consent. I love to talk about consent. <laughs> um, I'm like, I, all my favorite kink people do. I feel like that's yeah. the best. That's like the, it's, it's the best thing. It's like the, I'll just go on a little, I'm like, tell me about consent. I'm going to talk. Um, I'll let you talk in a second. The think about that I found over the years and, and the people that taught me the most about consent early on when consent wasn't a thing that people were talking about. Essentially, the only people that I ever heard talk about consent and agreements before um, or during or after, really, mm-hmm. like overt discussion was from the kink world. Yeah. Um, so I, um, you know, that was, it was definitely this notion of like, wow, you could make agreements before you start and you could like have ways to change your mind while things are happening. Like that, just that, just the concept of c- consent alone, I think for some people is, um, I think actually is kind of still viewed as kinky. It's like talking dirty. It's like actually, sure. you, know, you know, like it's like that notion and it's like that. So, um, yeah. So, so, so tell so tell me stuff. What do you love? Tell me things. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, and I, th- I think you're right. I think the idea somehow with a lot of people is that if you're going to spend too much time talking about what you're going to do, that takes the sexiness out or that takes the mystery away, which I think is totally untrue, but, but we do have that idea. So in, in the kink world, you're right. Like consent has always been mandatory because 
it has a lot to do with safety. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're talking about any kind of, you know, pain or role play or really anything where you're going, you're, you're giving up control to someone else. Right. You have to have safeguards in place to make sure that when you're, you know, in another role that you can still communicate your wants and your needs and all of that. But I think all of the things that go into, you know, negotiating a scene or making sure you have enthusiastic consent in, uh, in the kink world is absolutely applicable to all relationships. You know, I, uh, I teach a summer program. The Wayfinder mm-hmm. Experience is actually a not kink, not sexual teenage live action role playing high fantasy uh, camp world. And I grew up doing it. And then I owned it with a bunch of my friends. And then uh, but it's always like a side note for people who like run a business. I co-owned a business with 30 people. Don't recommend it. and at the same time, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was ama- It was just amazing in all the ways you can imagine. It was really, it was a feat. Everyone said, everyone gave us advice. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But we were young. I mean, I was the youngest at the start at 17. And the oldest was 26 or 27. And, uh, and a couple of people joined after me that were a couple, a little bit younger. So some of our, our owners were, like I said, 16 or 17. Oh, wow. And, uh, and our, eldest owner was like 30 or whatever. And we, you know, cause we ran the camp and then we decided to, we were going to, you know, do it our way. And, uh, and it, it's, it's been one of a major place because a, we do role playing. Um, so we do fantasy adventure things where you also are doing things like we have foam swords and foam weapons. And so we're like, you know, hitting each other and attacking each other and saying things like, no, stop. And, uh, don't you touch me. But it's like, you don't actually want anyone to stop. So we have a term, we have a safety word that, and when you say it, everybody freezes and repeats. And then, um, and then once the person who calls it has resolved, has declared that it's resolved or an adult on the scene, then we have a, a kind of a fantasy check. We go back into it. And, um, and, uh, we also learned a lot because it was theater based and community based. There's a lot of role playing stuff out there that's very like game system based, but this was like a very hippie kind of theater angled archetype side of things. And, uh, and we would do a lot of just like actual non sexual, uh, sensual touch. And it's something that just, we just started teaching a few years ago. Like I said, as consent has moved out of the, like, essentially out of the, like, kink and all alternative world and moved into a large, the, into other fringe worlds, starting with the kind of hippie, you know, hyper communicative, uh, sensitive world, kind of working its way, to, you know, towards main culture. We started teaching consent just for, uh, hugging and, um, you know, sitting on each other's laps or holding hands, things like that. And the, at first it was just consent. And then a few years ago, we started teaching enthusiastic consent. Can you, can you talk? Can you educate? I feel like, I, you know, it's like, it's getting passed on to me. I educate on that subject matter. Um, but I'm always happy to learn more. And I know there's definitely people listening that this is, we're using terms that don't necessarily translate into specificity. Absolutely. Um, the, the kind of the model of consent that I like the best is, um, the fries model. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, it comes from Planned Parenthood. I'm not sure who at Planned Parenthood, but that is, that is where it was coined. And so it's every letter of the word fries standing for something. And let's make sure I can remember them now, but it's (laughs) that consent needs to be freely given, reversible, 
informed, enthusiastic, and specific. Oh. And so... Wait, hold on. Let me... Okay. Uh, freely given. Right. Reversible. Uh, mm-hmm. Informed. That feels... I feel that in my heart. Uh, enthusiastic. And... What was the... Specific. Ah, right. Yes, specific. Right. The, like, partnership to informed... Um, Mm-hmm. Okay, so go so so tell us about those things. What what does that look like in real life? Yeah, I think it, what it does is it it brings consent into being more than just um, like a yes means yes, no means no, which right. is an excellent place to start. Right. But <laughs> there's so much more that goes into it. So when you think about like what does freely given mean, there's that means there's there's no coercion there, mm-hmm. and coercion can be. Um, and a very aggressive thing, but it can also be almost a passive seeming thing, you know, like that idea of like, if someone just wears you down and you're finally saying like, okay, fine. Like that's not freely given consent. Like you, if you're trying to like get out of a situation or you feel a sense of obligation, things like that, then, you know, that's not full consent. Um, Reversible, of course, is changing your mind in the moment that just because you've said, yes, I want to have sex with you doesn't mean that you can't say, oh, wait a second, I changed my mind or, yeah, that was fun, but I want to stop now. Right. You know, um, informed, you know, that you know what you're consenting to. Um, and then enthusiastic. Can we stop there for a second? Because yeah. that's like an interesting, when you say that, it's like, it's like my, my brain even had to work doubly to figure out, like, what are we talking about? It's like, oh, right, because um, the consent model or consent perspective is that I'm giving consent for something to happen, that there's yeah. this implied silent other half. And that's actually – I want to talk about my contemplations on consent and, like, a consent as, like, an intermediary step between things. Um, sure. But uh, I uh, – but I want to stay. I want to stay focused and really get into consent here. But that so this piece of being informed is like, you know, I'm freely giving um, permission, and I know that I can change my mind in the middle of fill in the blank. What this like the ability to actually know what we're um, what we're giving consent to, which is which is which is like a. Two, right, it's like if there's two people involved, it can be more than two people involved. But if there's at least two people involved, it's the. And sometimes I think about this in terms of even consent with our own self, our self pleasuring, like having yeah. this communication with our body, um, and not just doing things to our body, but having like you know. So it's like, what is it? Am I that I'm saying yes to? Um, okay, I've, but I, I was surprised that when you said informed, that I was like, like it took me a moment. I'm like informed. Meaning, like, oh, right, that I'm, like, consenting means that there's, like, something being considered that's, like, on the table and informed is, like, what is that thing on the table? We're we talking, like, what is the zone? What what are the specific things? What are the intentions or the tonalities or any of those things? Okay. Yeah, and you know what? I think I think there's also another side to informed that is having the information you need about your sexual partner. So, you know, you don't need to tell someone your life story if you're going to have sex with them. But, for example, if someone is in a – if someone is cheating, like they're they're non-monogamous but not in an ethical way. 
Um, but they're telling the, their potential partner that they're single. That's, that's not consent either. You know, like that is in yeah, some way that's, violating yeah. consent because the person that's choosing to sleep with this person is doing it under the guise of, well, you're also single. And right. if they knew all that information, then, and their choice would be no, then you're not allowing for them to have full consent without having full information. So I think it can be about the activities that are going to happen, but it can also be um, just the kind of knowledge that you, that is fair and reasonable to share with a sexual partner. Like STI status is another one. Right. I also wonder about um, the notion of certain degrees of like mental health states. Mm. Um, like I, I think about someone who is like really severe PTS and knows that they black out. Yes. Right. And, and it's like, I may or may not know that even if I've known them for months as a friend, right? Like that, that, that in in extreme situations or something, or, you know, I may, you know, I may may definitely not know them if I met them three hours ago. Right. So I think that's another thing that people don't think about. Um, but that, um, can come up and be really jarring. Um, Absolutely. And for both people, you know, that's, you know, triggers come up as part of a a negotiation, like a kink negotiation. But yeah, in any kind of sexual situation, if you have, if you have sexual trauma, it's, you know, that's your story. You obviously don't need to tell someone everything that happens, but if you have a, a traumatic response, right during sex, like to protect yourself and protect them. I think that's an important thing to communicate ahead of time. Yeah, this makes sense. Okay. I feel like I have a better sense of what informed is. Okay, great. Thank you. Sure. So enthusiastic. Enthusiastic is, you know, it's the, it's the fuck yeah, instead of just the yes or sure or whatever. It's that, you know, that everyone is, excited about what's about what's going to happen (laughs) and they're enjoying themselves and it seems really obvious and it seems like that should be kind of the low bar but I I think we forget sometimes that you know that ultimately sex is about connection and pleasure and enjoyment and not just like a thing that we have to rush through or a thing that is inevitable at the end of a date or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. When we teach um, en- enthusiastic, we teach that the verbal language and the body language have to match up. Oh yeah. I love that. That sounds, yeah. You know, so if they're physically saying no, but their mouth is saying yes, then that's a, a maybe. And a maybe is a no. Yeah. <laughs> a, maybe a maybe means is a no is so huge. I think it's yes. like, yeah, like a maybe is a no. And a maybe means like space, stop, back up and go back to the very beginning of like, what's negotiating, what's happening, what are, it's like, it's an automatic reverse to the back of like, what's being free, like what is happening. And that yes. maybe can, you can, you know, you can give us an additional offer um, or ask again, but you know, to, to be, to be really aware that you back all the way off and um, so as to not participate in coercion, to not just make maybes an invitation to ask over and over and over again, right? That like yeah. a, the maybe is a no and it's like, okay, it's off the table uh, no, unless it gets brought back up. I always think about it. It's like it's off the table unless it gets brought back up by the person who, 
you know and it's like all these rules are like a little bit bendy as long as there's like open and like enthusiastic present conversation but for the most part airing on the side because I think about for me I think about how many times I've had my own personal experience of like feeling kind of iffy about something in the moment and then later being like yeah that like really didn't feel good but like the person across from me probably wouldn't have known that you know like I wasn't I wasn't giving the cues that I was in a maybe space you know and so it's like really practicing um you know, really practicing that maybes are in no for myself. Like I'm trying to do that. Mm-hmm. It just in like every which way in my life in terms of like if I want to eat something or if I don't want to eat something or like if I want to, I don't know, like put on uh, like I don't know, lipstick, like what it's just like whatever, like the most like the most mundane daily things. Like if I'm having an adverse reaction or an unsure reaction to pay attention to those and the other thing that I actually – that I feel like goes with enthusiastic is to actually pay attention to the yeses because I feel like I can get really clumsy and rush past my own yeses too yeah. and make assumptions about what those yeses are. Like, yeah, I totally want to hang out with you. And then all of a sudden I'm not hanging out with them. I'm hanging out with 10 other people. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I was so excited to get in your car. I just didn't know where we were going. <laughs> I 100% wanted to be with you and in your car, but I didn't want to go to a bar, right? So like right. like those part, like that we can do that in like all of those from subtle internal games in our head to um, relationship to like literally in the middle of sex of being like, yeah, I totally want this. And then being like, wait, how did I get here? Um, and that, that, right, and that we can see where it all feeds into each other. That's where it goes into like informed. Um, yeah. Comments? Yeah. Well, and I think it's also um... – a good case to be made for slowing down. Like what you're saying about like hearing maybes and like watching for maybes. Like we, if we slow down a little, then we can also be aware of our own maybes because I don't know about you, but I do not do a great job of processing things in real time. Like I really do a lot better, like thinking things through after they happen, you know, or having a conversation and then going back and checking in with myself. So if I'm in, a situation where everything's moving quickly, I need to be really aware of stopping and checking in with myself and being like, okay, is this what I want to be doing? Am I really enjoying myself? Am I fully present here? Yeah, I think that question of being really present and fully enjoying myself are like different questions than mm-hmm. um, than like, do I want to be saying yes to this, right? Because it's yeah. like that's still like a head contemplative like decision-making and then there's the actual like what's happening and the ability to slow down enough to really follow the yeses. I feel like those are the bo- best like magic-making moments of my life, you know, in a sexual experience or not in a sexual experience is like when you get in that flow and being in the flow means that like you're going in the direction that the yes is opening before you. Yes. So it's like the yes comes first and then you follow the yes instead of always going to the door. And I feel like that's what a couple of things you just said to me got me really excited. So that's what I was thinking about in terms – we didn't get to specific yet. Okay. Let me – all right. Let's – okay. Let's finish specific because I feel like we're going <laughs> to go off on like a whole other thing when I when I do this. Okay. So specific. So specific is is close to informed. I think the difference is, it, you know, informed is having all the information you need to make a decision. And specific can be more, um, 
you know, what exactly you are asking for or agreeing to, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so specific really has a lot to do with not making assumptions, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, an example that I've used in something was like, if you're, if you're talking to somebody about spanking them and they say, Oh yeah, I really like that. But everything you've been talking about has been like hand spanking. Right. And then all of a sudden you're in a situation and they pull out like a fraternity paddle. Uh huh. That's, you know, that is a very specific thing that yes, it's in the same realm of what we've been talking about, but you need consent for that specific activity. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like I just, and I feel, I have this feeling a lot in my life these days where it's just like, and this comes back to what you're talking about in terms of comprehensive sex education and like, you know, doing this work and doing a lot of the work that I do with people in terms of reclaiming their body um, and awakening their body. Um, So taking it back either from a sense of giving it away to others or claiming it back from ourselves, a sense of just being lost territory in our own selves and kind of coming coming home and, and awakening these spaces that have gone to sleep or gone numb or experienced a soul loss of some sort. Um, yeah, that the, it's this, yeah, it's this place of, um, it's just, it's just, what I'm saying is there's so much there's so much to it all that once you start having a conversation, it's like the assumptions that sex is like heterosexual missionary style or like doggy style is like about as far. It's like, it's like, are there tongues or lips or dicks? Like, it's just so, it's so, it's, it's juveniles, what it is. It's like, yeah. it's, it's so oversimplified and ignorant to the actual experience of like what happens and, and what people want to happen. Like the idea, yes. it's like the idea, what we, what we often kind of think about as sex versus like what we kind of in a, in a larger sense. And like you hold circles to kind of talk about and do, you know, you do, you work with people to be able to have these conversations and deconstruct and then reconstruct what is this thing. Right. Well, and I'd say most of the people that I talk to who have some form of like what they would call performance anxiety what that's really about is, you know, is there's this script for what we think sex is supposed to look like. And if you are going through this whole script in your head and making sure you're checking off all the boxes, you know, so for people with penises, it's okay, well, I want to, I have to be hard, you know, like immediately. And it, that's (sighs) how we start and we end an orgasm. And it's like, if, if that is all going through your mind the whole time, then of course you're not present with your partner or partners, you're thinking, you know, like you have a job to do and there's nothing, there's nothing fun and playful about that. So I think just sort of expanding the notion of what sex is. I love that. I remember being a teenager and I, I, um, I was, I was very, um, well, I was highly sexualized before it was mine. That was my first loss. Um, But uh, I I did a lot of um, giving people what I thought they wanted. Um, 
and making people happy and having a good time and being very playful with myself and my sexuality. I was very highly protective of um, intercourse because on a basic level, I just didn't want to get pregnant and get an abortion. And I knew I didn't want to have kids. So um, mm-hmm. it was like really simple, even for me at like 15 or 16. I remember in high school, people being like, why don't you have sex? And I was like, because I don't want to have a baby or an abortion. And people were like, yeah. whoa. And I was like, <laughs> what? really? Like, really? Like, is that, it's like, so, you know, it was like really mind blowing for people. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was like, it kind of had that element, but I definitely, I remember talking about it with my peers in high school and, and, and people getting articles, right? Like 17, mag- was it 17? Oh, yeah. Probably not that maybe, do they talk about sex in 17? I don't they know. They did. <laughs> yeah. Talking about, um, sex. And, and I remember all the articles were like, are you stressed? Are you like, are you this? Are you that? And all the answers were always, you need to relax. I remember being a teacher and being like, why are people so stressed out having sex? Like, I don't get it. I like, I really didn't get it. And I feel like that's one of the parts of my youth that I'm like trying to awaken and claim back. Is that like why it would ever, you know, because it's like, I'm definitely one of those women now, like you, you you need to relax, you know? And it's like, you know, give myself some credit. Like there's been some trauma between then and now, but, um, and I've awakened a trauma that was emotional trauma that was not sexual trauma that affects that ability to be in intimacy in a sustained way. Um, yeah, but that, that's what just came up for me. It's just, I remember as a teenager being like, why is, why is the number one advice always just relax? And now I'm like, oh my God, the number one advice is just relax. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But like, what does that mean? Like, that's not so simple necessarily, right? No. I mean, just saying, just saying relax is such a, irritating statement yes it's like it's like telling someone you know who's very upset and worked up to calm down like that's the last thing that you want to hear you know you need to calm down but (laughs) that doesn't mean that like someone coming in and saying calm down so exactly in the same way so if someone has if if sex is bringing somebody a lot of stress it's going to take more than just like well you just need to relax (laughs) right okay So here's my thing about consent. This is my like the next thing, right? So I feel like for whatever reason, I feel like I'm not going to like say it the way I want to. But um, so the the thing about consent, right? And the way that we teach it is this, um, maybe I shouldn't assume that because you're teaching us right now, but I'm sure you teach it in a lot of ways. But a lot of the ways that it's talked about is this notion of what we're saying yes and what we're saying no to and this notion of propositions, right? Like, um, and I think there's a lot of assumptions that happen for people. Um, I know it happened for me a lot at first when I started thinking about consent and it's been like this kind of, kind of evolving I don't want melting brain is the phrase that came to mind for me. I don't know what that means, but um, you know, that this idea of like, I want something and then I ask for it. And then that person either says yes or no, whether they give it to me. And there's something about that, um, that does a couple things. One, um, it's, we have to know what we want. Yes. And that, that that is that is not something that we necessarily find out in that that's not something that we necessarily find out in that conversation if we're not already deeply 
connected to and have an understanding of how to know what we want, right? That like knowing what we want is a whole other skill set that is related to, but not the same as consent. Oh, absolutely. Because it's, you can't ask for what you want in a clear and communicative way if you don't know what you want. Right. And you can't say yes or no. If you don't have a really, if you don't have a way of knowing when someone says to you, like for me, there's lots of ways of knowing, right? But for me, when I think about sex and I think about visceral, I think about the body, I think Mm -hmm. about the way that um, I feel when someone says something, right? So, um, and a feeling that's a yes feeling and a feeling that's a no feeling and a feeling that's an, like a, that is this other it's like an, it's a not a yes, it's not a no. And usually that's like a, it's like those question, right? It's like, there's, I need more information. <laughs> sure. Right. Um, but that a lot of people that I know in the most basic way don't know those signals. They don't know what yes feels like in their body. They don't know what no feels like in their body. They don't know what that is. And so they're making a lot of the time consent conversations are happening in people's heads, thinking about what they think they want. Um, And I don't mean this in like a judgy way, like, of course, we can't know what we're going to want in a moment, but I'm talking about like, even in a moment, you know what I mean? Where it's like, people are like, they don't know. And and when you talk about processing something later, um, there's degrees of disconnect from our experience where we may or may not have access to in a moment, whether something feels good, right? Like our ability, not just to know how think, how to, how to have pleasure, um, to give pleasure, to share pleasure, but how to experience pleasure and to know what pleasure feels like um, is its own. That's like, I feel like that's like my zone. It's like the development of like knowing oneself in that regard, like to have access to that. Like you said that, like, you know, that you, you think about things after. And that's one of the things that I've really, I mean, not that you don't think of things, but that the processing after. Yeah. And I really, I can relate to that so much. And I definitely still have that. And it's one of the things that I've worked so diligently in myself and in my own consciousness and my own self-awareness and in my communication to be able to slow down my territory inside myself. So to slow it way down outside myself, to literally say to yeah. somebody, a partner, I need a minute, you know, and then, yeah. to, and then to be able to go inside and just be like, okay, what is happening where is this feeling? Okay. So I, like, you know, and then, and usually what I find is like not a simple one, two, I usually find five or six things. If I need a minute, it's because it's like, actually I need you to the bathroom. I keep thinking about this phone call that I was supposed to make. Um, and, uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but like you're putting out a vibe that's different than what you're saying. Right. It's like, you know, being able to, to hone that, that the being able to, and that's it. Everything that I just said like is not actually about the other person or needing to make a phone call. It's just like knowing what's happening inside. It's like, okay, let me schedule when I'm going to make the phone call. Let me go pee. Let me come back and let's check in because I feel like my spidey senses, my intuition is saying something's a little bit off. Right. And the willingness to slow every, and like a lot of people will look at what I just said as a total buzzkill, right? A total <laughs> like to like totally destroy a sex moment. And I just, uh, I just, I, I don't know. I, but if you don't do that, like if you, if you right. just kind of push through that, yeah. then you're left with a sexual experience that you feel like, okay, yeah, sure. I consented, but like, <sighs> eh. you know, you just have that, like, 
And I did so much of that. And I just, I just, I just am done. No, that's so well, done. Saying about some people not being able to even access that stuff, like it, it takes work, it takes work. to be in touch with your body, you know, yeah. and to really feel that like mind body connection. And so just to even have the language to be able to say like, I need to step away. I need to scan my body for what's going on. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people don't even have that language. And sometimes it can take a long time. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fast. I'm one of the fastest people I know. And it actually makes for awkward situations in my life. And I have to remember to like be cool because I can do it in like 45 seconds or a minute and someone else needs like 15 minutes. (laughs) Right. Sure. And I'm like, that's totally fair. It used to take me six days. Your 15 (laughs) minutes is really great. You know, like, yeah, you know, but when it took me six days, I was losing my mind for those six days. So I had to get real different. Like I had to learn some skills because I literally couldn't function in my life. Like that's how I got where I am now was it was like so far off in the other end that um, I, I couldn't, I, there was no faking it till you make it in my existence. I faithed it till I made it, but I did not fake it till I make it. There was no, yeah. nobody was confused about that. Um, yeah. So then I think about, cons- then I think about this evolution of consent in which like two people come together or, you know, more than two people, people come together and and what happens is actually this mutual negotiation of everybody putting forth like this is what I want and the other person says this is what I want and then looking and seeing the Venn diagram or seeing the crossover and seeing an opportunity of how everybody's kind of things like come together in a flow as yeah. opposed to just this notion of like I ask, you say yes, you say no. Then I ask, you say yes or you say no right? This idea of really laying out a landscape and that's so vulnerable. It's so much less vulnerable to say like, I would like to lick you here and here and here. And the other person can be like, yes, you can lick me here and here, but you cannot lick me there. And it's like, okay, this is exciting. This is good. Okay. This is the thing. Like that's total and that's wonderful. Right. And I'm in support of that. And you know, the total vulnerability of like, this is the whole landscape of like what I feel I'm brewing inside me. Um, that could, you know, that could be much, I, 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 what I can say is that I have found people that have dropped into and created a deep relationship with her sexuality always have more to say than I just want to lick you here. Right. That like the whole world is, it's, it's a rich world. And so to, to have people that are fully in access to their own worlds and then to share, to have both people say like, this is that world. And then to find that meeting place. And that when people, when both people come from that whole place, then there is a space that happens that is, um, I think, uh, like that can happen in like a post-verbal way right? That there is that mutuality and respect and connection and listening and skill set. And, you know, so, so I like to say that out loud, because I think some people can hear these conversations and just say like, well, what about that magic flow when it happens and you're not talking? And I'm like, yeah, that totally happens. And the way that that happens in a healthy, whole and soulful way as a practice, not as an accident or not as a Mm -hmm. bonus, (laughs) You know, that you can actually, you know, that with practice and the cultivation of these things that these, these become the way of navigating in relationship and thus in sexual relationship. This is my theory anyway. No, I mean, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think, yeah, it's not 
that that connection and just sort of expansive place doesn't just come out of nowhere, you know, and and so if you're not doing the work of being in touch with yourself and communicating and all of those things in those moments, yeah, they're 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 few and far between or they just feel like an accident instead of right. Yeah, or like a miracle, like they can't happen. Yeah. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that I just get, I get really, I get excited about it. And I, you know, that space of like people, um, uh, when people have like a really good, like magic synchronistic day or, um, or when I'm feeling really great and, uh, and people are like, and I'm like, people are like, how are you? And I'm like, I feel great. And people are like, that's so great. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's not an accident. Right. Like, right. it's like, this is, I feel great most of the time, even when I feel shitty, like I woke up today for the first time in a long time, woke up from a dream and like in my half sleep started weeping. Oh yeah. Oof. I mean, and it was like later in the day, I was so grateful for the grieving because it was so clear that I had moved through, I'd been moving this stuff kind of underneath the surface um, like the past few days. And it was like this wave kind of crashing through, you know, and it's like, and that's what I'm talking about. It's like, I woke up weeping this morning and my predominant experience was gratitude. Right. Like that, that could be a miracle for someone. But what I can tell you is that for me, for all the years when I woke up weeping and my experience was not gratitude, uh-huh. you know, like they're different. Like they are different. They're different ways of like being and, and navigating existence like in a, in a basic way and that i'm pretty obsessed with that being a sk- i'm like i'm really into skills skills yeah. skills get skills i feel like that's like <laughs> sophia wise one hashtag skill set like it's just like it's just skills it's just yeah. like skills we can learn them and that's the part that i get excited about is like we can learn them and like when you talk about I, that's why i'm so into studying and 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 studying with with people and you know all of those things which i'll throw out here um uh, Lee was generous, generous enough. If anybody listening wants to work with Lee, she will throw you a 20% discount on uh, your first session. And that's in Los Angeles or via Skype. So if this is feeling like you're like, yeah, I want to I want to have more articulate conversations around what I want and be more connected to my pleasure and have a better understanding of um, boundaries or ethical non-monogamy or all of the various aspects sorting out all the, I'm just looking at all these things that you do Sex, <laughs> sexual orientation and practicing consent and really understanding self-care from in a way that includes and honors sexuality um so yeah throw that let's throw that in there absolutely yeah well and you know what you were saying about skills is it's kind of um for me, I, I think I use the word practice a lot, like uh-huh. um, like having different practices. Um, like I usually ask people like what their self-care practice is or what their masturbation practice is because these are, these are things that they do take effort and skills and time, you know? It's not just kind of a thing we do or forget to do. Like it's, it's something you cultivate. Yeah, that's. I was actually just having this conversation with a priestess sister of mine, a dear friend of mine, and uh, we were just having this conversation because I was saying that I've been 
on this process in this process. I had really severe pelvic pain. It's actually what got me into the intravaginal work. Um, was that I had my own after years. Um, this might be actually, I'd be curious what you might say on this, but I, I didn't realize I had pelvic pain. I had had oh. pelvic pain, but I didn't know because what the phrase that went through my head was, oh, this is what it feels like to want someone so bad it hurts. Oh, wow. And that was my first experience of pain during sex. And I, mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't know that that's what that was. And it wasn't till years later because it would come and go when it really, it all kind of broke open and, um, and that little sensation didn't go away. It was like, and then I was like, whoa, I need help. (laughs) Like what is happening? Um, And and called a friend of mine and got a referral, started working with the book, working on myself. And then I went and studied with the teacher who wrote the book and, um, and has been integrating and kind of working all these things since then. And so, um, you know, I was, I did the pelvic, I was doing, uh, pelvic floor work on myself and doing a lot of the other aspects and practices around that. And, um, and a couple years into that, it became clear to me that I needed to start to reclaim my masturbation practice that I didn't have and that I hadn't had in a really long time. Um, not my favorite word, by the way. Um, and uh, uh, I just don't like the way it feels when I say it. Um, but uh, it's just like, there's just got to be better. I have None of the other ones have caught me really yet. But um, uh, I, uh, I, so what I did was I went back to the way that I first discovered um, pleasure. I just went back to like, before I even knew what masturbation was. Like, like, like when I was like, like a preteen discovering water in the bathtub and then, and then kind of going from there. And so it's been this process of going back and I was actually just sharing with my friend that it took over two years. This is intense to go there. It took over two years for me to be able to have a self-pleasuring practice. I guess I like the way that that says a self-pleasuring practice that wasn't um, painful and that well, the sounds yeah. that came out of me weren't um, like cries or tears or yells because of the cause of all of the territory that was lost, crowded out, um, you know, and it literally tense. I was just it was it was in, you know, I really had pretty severe pelvic pain. And so but I but I realized that I couldn't just avoid it. Um, and that there was a vulnerability when it was just me and this like simple base practice that used to feel so simple and, oh, that's my, hello, that's my dog. Um, her name means peace. Her name is Pax. Aww. Hi, Pax. Um, uh, you know, to this simple practice that I, I knew could be something that would just feel like, ooh, ooh, but that's not what it felt. It felt like, like I couldn't even, I had to practice. So, you know, so, you know, I really had to work for years and I remember the turning point, um, of it beginning to having a moment of being like, wow, that actually felt good. Like (laughs) this is okay. There's hope, you know? And it was like, it, there was pleasure while there was still pain and to slowly have it shift from a painful experience into a, um, mostly pain, but a little bit of pleasure into more 
pleasure, a little bit of pain, this like very slow process. And to recognize for me that the pain that I was feeling was uh was a holding on and reactionary like trauma response that I wasn't doing anything to myself to hurt myself that it was like there was just no there was like the only way out was through you know yeah of and course. and uh and and all the other work that I was doing in addition to this you know and it's like I didn't do that every week it was too intense <laughs> I didn't want to you know I did other things in between and then would come to it and and every time it was like I would I would reclaim. It was like very similar to, like I said, it was like that great, grateful for grieving. Um, a lot of the time when I was doing that self-pleasuring practice, a lot of what came out of me was a lot of rage. It was raging a lot. It was a lot of like silent screams. So it was like a lot of like opening up my throat, opening up my mouth, um, and opening up my pelvic floor, opening up my, my vagina and like letting that space begin to, um, let, uh, presence. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's the word that comes to mind. Absolutely. That's an intense thing to go through. Yeah. It was not, yeah, it's not like, it's not light conversation talk. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's, I mean, there's a lot there around self-pleasuring, you know, if you, for some people that, that vulnerability with yourself mm -hmm. is, is more frightening and more intense. Um, and more like fraught with emotion than, than intimacy with someone else. Yeah. I actually, early on, I, I was, um, yeah, here we go. This is, this is the world of podcasting right into your ears. Just, just, yeah, there it is. Um, I was so, it was so emotionally intense and the best word that I can describe it to is spiritually. It was, it really felt like a space that I was, my spiritual presence had been, I had gone into lockdown and that what I was doing was like, like pushing out lies and the patriarchy and, um, uh -huh. and, and I mean, lies, lies about myself, lies about reality, lies about, uh, you know, per perception, just like, just lies, like pushing through all of these lies um, and, and it was this like warrior that was like coming through that had to like clear everything out before that like pleasure priestess goddess could come through, you know, and like yeah. that warrior coming through. And the, I think in many ways, the warrior energy and the like raging kind of fierce, like all of that was intimidating to me. And I remembered, I, um, actually the same one that I was talking about my, um, this priestess, this sister friend of mine, I said, I'm, I, um, I need you to hold my hand. Mm. Like I need you, I need, I need to be witnessed and I need to be, um, supported. And that was one of the most terrifying requests for support I think I've ever done. And I've done a lot of requests for support that have felt vulnerable and scary, but it was like breaking through that shame wall. And it's like, I do intravaginal work that's non-sexual. And so it was like, that definitely helped break that first wall of just being like, why would someone else be in the room when someone was inside your vagina or you're doing that work? Like I'd done yeah. a number of rounds, but this was different. It was like, you know, um, I, but it was like, I was, t I knew I can feel it in my heart. It was like, I knew I needed to do it, but I was just scared and I was just scared to do it alone. And so to have someone that I like loved and trusted enough and, and who was, um, sexually healthy and connected enough to be able to say, yes, 
you know, to be a friend and just to, to just hold my hand and just, you know, and again, it's like once that moment came, it's like the idea of it necessarily being a particularly sexual experience to a lot of people, it's, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of put it, move it into a different category. Cause it's like, you know, it wasn't like there was ecstasy happening. There was like stimulus right. and then just gr- like weeping and grieving and raging. Um, and that's something that's like, you know, again, rounds, like the rounds of being able to, um, you know, and that's one of the things that I've actually always kind of said. I think one of the things that I like, one of my like things that I've had a lot of shame around is being an exhibitionist at all. Like even like, you know, coming to terms, like having a podcast, being, being like, I'm like, I'm a radio host, you know? And it's like, oh, I, yeah. I like, I like being a voice. Like I like having a voice. I like using my voice. I like it when people hear my voice, you know, and how much, um, shame that I've had around that, you know, being an actress, being on stage and how much I loved it, you know, and how much I love it like now. And so the idea that it would be strange to me that I would have any notions of that in my healing as a medicine in in, the, in my medicine journey or in my sexuality in a whole healed sexuality, I think has really terrified me. I've been, ter- you know, in the, and I was very terrified of a healed sexuality that would that would have an element of like, um, uh, being an exhibitionist. I was like, Oh, I can't do that. I've been working out. I've all of these levels. It's like, it's like this little part of me is trying to be like, be like the good girl for the patriarchy for so long, you know? And it's like, I drink my menstrual blood and I have a radio show called vagina talks, but I'm still have fears of being an exhibitionist, you know? Like, it's like, I I mean, you're there's, you know, if you, if you grew up as a people pleaser, you know, you're kind of conditioned to make yourself smaller. So that there's room for everyone else. And so even if you've done like a lot of work and moved past that, there can still be that, that feeling of like, am I taking up too much space? Yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. It's like, whose space is it to take up? Right? Exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah. And like, what does that even mean? Like what, um, you know, does someone deserve more space than someone else? It's like, no. well, of course not. No. But yeah. And that uh, my one of my favorite kind of teachings that the pelvic bowl has taught me is um, the kind of root pelvic bowl teaching is I'm made of space. No, yes, I'm made of space and matter. I take up space and I matter. Oh, I love that. That's what our root says. It's like that's it. That's yeah. the deal. And so it's like it feels like a great coming to terms. You know, it's like it's okay. the great acceptance, like all of these things and. Um, and I just really appreciate your work and, you know, and, and just, just claiming it and saying it and being a safe space and creating safe spaces to, to have these conversations and to say like, sex exists. (laughs) Yes. It's a thing. And it doesn't just have to be, you know, it's like, you know, I'm so grateful for the courage and the the time of, um, of the assault stories coming out. Like I really am. It's so important. And I went to the women's March recently. And, uh, when the show air will air, it will be back in January. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I went to the women's March back in January and, um, I, uh, I was walking and I was thinking to myself, there's no singing. Tens and thousands of like women and solidarity and non-binary and like like feminine loving stuff. There's no singing, 
And I had this moment where I was like, no, the singing comes after the raging and the grieving. Like yeah. that's what happens. Like it's the silence and then the return of the voice. And then when we reclaim our voice, what we choose to do with it more often than not is to sing. Yeah. But the process of reclaiming our voice, that is, that's me in that bathtub, right? That's tens of thousands of, you know, millions of people just saying, fuck, you know, fuck this. I've been silent for too long grieving right. and raging and and getting you breaking through that voice and then and then right and we are and like there are people that have done this work already like there are leaders and in, in inspirations who say that voice right i think about the work that city the work that eve ensler's done and the work that she's done with the incredible just incredible teachers the city of joy um recovery and the singing and dancing in in terms of of the you know 1 billion rising and that it's an arts yeah. rising you know like yeah. this is an arts rising and that that's once we reclaim that voice it's ours to do with what we will um but to have patience and compassion and respect for the process of whatever that voice reclaiming looks like right and that part of that process is is not going to just be something that can be like that everyone's going to agree on it. You know, it's right. not going to be this like this is the way it's going to happen and we're only going to point out the the most egregious things that happen and we're all going to agree it's awful and then we're all fine. Like that's just that's not how these conversations happen and that's not how people's lives happen. And so it is I think we're in a a messy angry place. And that's okay. It's so holy. Yeah. It's so holing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine there's, a, you know, especially in the world of kink, it's one, also one of the places where, you know, respect and honoring of the, of, of the rage and of the, of the, the aggressing energy, having a safe place and ha- being, having it be respected and having it be, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I think for some people it can be hard um, to understand why, like, abuse survivors would be um, into kink, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, because it's, it's, sometimes it's finding your place and, like, your way of reclaiming your power, even by giving up your power, Yeah, which can seem confusing to some, but you know, like it's because you, you're making that choice. And especially if that choice was made for you at some point, um, and you, you didn't get to make that choice, then there's something so healing about choosing to give up power. Yeah. I think about one of the, um, teachings, I have a deck of cards and one of the teachings on one of the cards is um, start where you are. And, yeah. you know, that notion of like so often in our healing, we want to jump to this to the next step. Um, but that the place where we really have our power is, is where we are. And if we're stuck, if we're holding these places of trauma to to go to go where that is and not, you know, and again, it's like in case this is not obvious, like. And there's a million ways, right? Like there's no right way to do it. And when you start where you are, if what you need to do is fully claim that and climb back into that, an element of that, 
um, dynamic or that experience, but to have it be fundamentally entirely different, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a profound sanity in that. Yeah. And well, and, and similar to starting where you are, I think that the phrase that like healing is nonlinear right. is such a big deal too, because yeah. some days people will feel much more whole than other days. And that doesn't mean that like you're not doing the work and you're not making progress. That's just, it's not a straight line. I love that. Well, um, I have a couple kind of closing questions that I usually end with, but before I throw that out there, is there anything else that's on your heart or your mind or your, your voice that wants to, to share or say, or, um, I don't think so. I think, I think I'm ready. Okay. So, um, the first is just, you know, people want to find you and connect with you and we'll have, you know, your, all your various things listed on the, in the show notes. But if you want, and if you want people to get connected with you, where's the best, what's the best way for them to, to reach out or be connected, um, with you and your work? Sure. Uh, my website is your sexual com. And so there's a contact form on there um, and my email and my phone number are there. I'm also on Instagram at Your Sexual Revolution. And those are probably the two best ways to get in touch with me. Great. Perfect. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and it sounds like you're very open to being getting in touch and with. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, beautiful. Um, so... Yeah, if you're anybody, you know, if you're listening and, and things about this has brought up questions for you or um, um, or insight, don't hesitate to um, reach out to either of us um, with your questions. But I'm also, you know, any any of your insight and added added conversation to this, I'd be really happy to have you um, join in on that. And uh, I do most of that conversating on Instagram in my case, but kind of any which way to get a hold. I'm sure both of us would be happy to continue that conversation wherever that is for you. Okay. So here's my closing question. The, it, it's an assumption, by the way. <laughs> the assumption, Lee, is that you believe that there is a world, that our world is capable of being a more whole or a sweeter, kinder reality. That's the assumption. Is that an accurate assumption? That there's there's a better world possible? Yes, that is an accurate assumption. Okay, great. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for being a a faith holder of that. I really appreciate it. Um, So the the next, the the question here is, um, can you paint a picture? Can you weave a thread of what that world looks like or sounds like or feels like that place where we're going. Um, you know, if we don't know where we're going, we're just kind of hoping for it. And so I'm, I'm inviting you to help us kind of, you know, help design where we're going. What does that world look like? Help dream, dream it, dream it into existence. Okay. I, the first thing that's coming up for me is just the the idea of empathy. You know, I think we need to have a lot more empathy for for ourselves and for the people that 
we interact with and, um, for other people's stories. I think, you know, I think we're, we're quick to judge people's experiences rather than like holding space for them and hearing them in a more empathetic way. And when we bring that kind of kindness in, um, then our world looks better. Our, our relationships are better. Our sexual experiences are better when we're really thinking about not just ourselves, but, but how other people are feeling. So that's the world we're going to a world of empathy. I hope so. <laughs> Great. It's the one I'm going towards. Join, yeah. join me there, Lee. Yeah. <laughs> you have today. And for that, I'm so very, very grateful. Thank you for your wisdom and your knowledge. And, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and a gift to, to, to be with you and to talk with you and to share with you. Thank you so much for coming on Vagina Talks. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sophia. (laughs) Remember, everything that we talked about in today's episodes will be in the show notes. So go there for links. For more content that you're going to love, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to this podcast. Share this episode with anybody you think you'll enjoy it. And share the love with a rate or review wherever you listen. And to find out about all the mad adventures I'm up to, check me out on Instagram at SophiaWiseOne uh, or come to my website, SophiaWiseOne.com. I am Sophia Wise One, daughter of the wind. I am calling you to rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up and take your place. Thank you, gorgeous. I am thrilled and grateful for your support listening to this podcast. I want to invite you to come check out the Patreon. If you think this podcast is the bee's news and you're grateful that it exists, I want you to know I'm grateful that you exist. Come join the Patreon. I call it the temple. We are healing. We are musicking. We are podcasting. We are together. Come check it out. You can find it through Patreon backslash Sophia Wise One or through my website, sophiawiseone.com. Oh. <laughs> Y'all know you need to hear that though. You know. If you don't know, now you know. If you don't know. Okay. You know. Yo, I'm so excited about Vagina Talks right now. Don't pretend like you don't know this is the best podcast you've ever listened to. Don't pretend like you don't know. You know.